Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, August 13th, and this is your FT News Briefing. After a surprising outcome in Argentina's primary election, the probability of a debt default has increased. The U.S. yield curve hits its flattest levels since 2007. And KPMG ousts another senior partner after an investigation into his conduct. Plus, the FT's Anjali Raval recaps Saudi Aramco's first-ever earnings call and how the world's largest oil company is doing in the build-up to its IPO. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Argentine assets were hit hard on Monday after an upset for President Mauricio Macri and the country's primary elections over the weekend. Opposition leader Alberto Fernandez and his running mate, former President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, nailed down a victory in the preliminary round of voting. They received nearly 48 percent of the vote. Mr. Macri's coalition took home about 32 percent. FT Markets reporter Colby Smith explains how investors reacted. It was a rough day for Argentine assets on Monday. The peso at one point lost more than a fifth of its value against the dollar. And the yields on the government bonds spiked, indicating that the prices were falling. So investors were dumping Argentine assets left and right. And part of the issue is that the electoral chances for incumbent President Macri look much dimmer now. Many investors say that his chances of winning in October are very, very small at this point. And so much of the positive sentiment around Argentina hinged on um, his reelection. And so investors are growing increasingly negative on the country. They're worried that the record $56 billion IMF program that was put in place last year will now be at risk, given that it was under President Macri and his more orthodox economic policies that the IMF proved so flexible and so supportive with its funds. If Macri and his policies are no longer in play here, investors are just increasingly concerned about the country's ability to repay its debts. Or many are worried that you'll see a return to the fiscal spending of the past that led to many of the imbalances that Macri has tried to fix um, during his first term. Market jitters weren't isolated to Argentina on Monday. Yesterday, the U.S. yield curve hit its flattest level since before the financial crisis. The yield curve shows the difference between shorter-dated and longer-dated government debt. And it's considered by many investors to be a predictor of a recession. The difference between the yield on two-year Treasury bills and that on the 10-year narrowed to 5.605 basis points at the height of Monday's market nervousness. That's the flattest since June 2007. Meanwhile, the difference between the three-month Treasury bill and the benchmark 10-year bond touched minus 34.77 basis points at its worst on Monday. But it failed to break past last week's level of minus 41.43 basis points, which was the most negative level since March 2007. This curve has turned negative, or inverted, before every U.S. recession of the past 50 years. And the dim outlook among investors comes alongside more protests in Hong Kong, that political uncertainty in Argentina, and the ongoing U.S.-China trade war. 
As a result, investors are assessing whether the Federal Reserve might ease monetary policy beyond the interest rate cut of 25 basis points it made last month. And KPMG has forced out yet another senior partner. Tim Howarth was the head of KPMG's UK Financial Services Consulting Unit. He was removed after an investigation into his conduct involving messages he sent on WhatsApp. Mr. Howarth, who is 53, is the third senior partner to be investigated by the firm this year over claims of misconduct. He worked at the company for 15 years and was the lead partner for one of its clients, Lloyd's Banking Group. KPMG ousted Mr. Howarth after convening a disciplinary panel on Friday. His profile was removed from the company's website over the weekend. KPMG has been battling to restore its reputation after a number of scandals. The firm was involved in a corruption scandal in South Africa. It's also been scrutinized by regulators and politicians in the UK over the collapse of government outsourcer Carillion. Plus, in June, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission fined the company $50 million after former KPMG employees were alleged to have stolen regulatory information. And here's a closer look at a story you should know more about. A few months ago, Saudi Arabia's state-backed oil company, Saudi Aramco, reignited the process for an initial public offering. It had been put on hold last year because its advisors were unable to generate the $2 trillion valuation that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman wanted. The prospect of the IPO has been a cornerstone of the Crown Prince's big plan to reform Saudi Arabia's economy away from its dependence on fuel. Now, after record demand for a debut international bond in April, there's been positive momentum, and senior Saudi officials are trying to get going on a stock market listing. On Monday, Saudi Aramco held its first-ever earnings call, giving an overview of its finances for the first half of 2019. So in some ways, we didn't find out anything really that we didn't already know. That's the FT's senior energy correspondent, Anjali Raval. It's the lowest cost producer in the world. It has access to these reserves that no one else has, and it's able to generate a lot of cash. But what was unusual is that, yes, it was the first time they've ever put out a half-year earnings statement. It's also the first time they did an earnings call. It almost seemed like the company was practicing for a time where it might have to do this a bit more regularly. The chief financial officer, although he doesn't have that title, he spent a lot of time talking about how the earnings call was part of a process to to strengthen communications with investors. And he really spent the time focusing on how Saudi Aramco's financial performance is really unmatched, despite lower oil prices. And this is a testament to their resilience and their superior operational and financial performance. But these calls are usually a time when analysts and journalists can ask quite pointed questions, and we didn't see that today. So it seems like a poor time to float with oil prices moving up and down all year. So in some ways, the most perfect time to have done this IPO was when it was originally planned. At some point last year, when oil prices were really very high, And now what we've seen is prices have gone down from the $80 or so it had reached last year to even below $60, which we've seen recently. 
This is hugely problematic for a country like Saudi Arabia that generates the bulk of its revenues from oil sales to foreign countries. And the entire government, even though they are trying to diversify into new sectors, is still hugely reliant on oil revenues. So when the oil price falls, their economy takes a real battering. Monday was a pretty big day for Saudi Aramco, even aside from its earnings call. What else happened? So whether Saudi Aramco had planned it or not, news came out that it had agreed to take a 20% stake in Reliance Industries refining and petrochemicals business. So this is the big Indian conglomerate run by Mukesh Ambani. And the deal which would value this business at $75 billion is obviously a really big deal. This is an example of how Saudi Arabia and Saudi Aramco is looking to expand abroad and in particular deepen its ties with India, which is the fastest growing energy consumer. What Saudi Aramco said later on in the day on the earnings call was that, look, this deal's at a very early stage and there's due diligence to do and board approval still required. But for Reliance to come out and make such a big statement in such a way would indicate that this is probably fair to report on and it's a big deal in itself and probably has had the approval of pretty senior people both in India and Saudi Arabia. But it's definitely one to watch. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. And now that you've finished today's briefing, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. My colleagues Lila Raptopoulos and Griselda Murray-Brown are hosting a new show from the Financial Times called Culture Call. In each episode, Lila and Griselda will talk to writers, musicians, and artists who are shifting culture. Listen to Culture Call wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.